Before I pray, uh, I did want to just read one passage of Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, and it says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, just the gift of another day. Lord, for this opportunity that we have together. Lord, I think of um, when Jesus came to, to Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus responded each time with these three words, feed my sheep. And so, Lord, uh, tonight I pray that, uh, 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 that we would be fed by your word uh, through the power of your spirit. Uh, Lord, so often I have been prone to wander. I have, Lord, wandered onto dangerous paths and you have faithfully come and rescued me. You have rescued me through the ministry of your spirit, through the ministry of your word, uh, through the ministry of your church and your people, Lord, through the ministry of my own wife. And so, Lord, I thank you that uh, you have not left me to myself. So, Lord, again, I pray that your word would uh, do its perfect work. Uh, Lord, hide me behind the, the cross of Christ. I pray that your your word would go forth and uh, with great power and anointing by the power of your spirit. And Lord, we pray all, the, all of these things in the name of our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the, to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are, 
led by the Spirit of God. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown, eager, grown eagerly as we wait, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. And those whom he foreknew and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, if you've been a Christian for very long, you know that what I just recited there was um, the word of the Lord as it was delivered to the saints in Rome, written by the Apostle Paul around 57 AD. Um, it would later uh, 
be given the designation is what we now know as Romans chapter 8. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, if you haven't already turned there, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. The late great Welch preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said, um, before we approach any book in the Bible, we should always ask this question, why did the man write it? And I would even go as far as to say we should ask the question, why did, why did God himself give it to us? And then, and then Dr. Jones answers and says, in order for us to get the answer to that question, we read what was written. And I thought that's pretty simple instruction. Read what was written. Uh, and I think there's great value in that. Um, now, I, I would add that, um, you know, we, we obviously need to have, uh, we need to approach the scriptures with humility and, um, and reverence. And, and recognize our own weaknesses and our dependence upon the Spirit. Um, apart from the Spirit, the Word of God can't be known. And so even as believers, we continue to rely upon the Spirit of God as we approach the Scriptures. And, you know, I would also add that, you know, there's um, sound interpretive, interpretive principles that we should follow when we approach the Word of God. Um, uh, the most important uh, I believe, is context. Uh, we should always approach the scriptures and look at the immediate context, working our way out to the broader context. And as Pastor Jason mentioned this past Sunday morning, uh, the broadest context would be the, the Bible itself. Um, but everything should be taken within context. Uh, in fact, our, our early church fathers, it was known as the analogy of the faith, uh, interpreting scripture with scripture. And so context is always important. Um, so, uh, as we look at Romans chapter 8 tonight, uh, I've titled this message, Victory for the Believer in this Present Life and in the Life to Come. And then, I just as a subtitle there, I think you could really title it both probably. Um, if you've spent enough time, you'd probably come up with a hundred different titles, but um, The Role of the Spirit in the Life of a Believer. I think we see that there in Romans chapter 8. And so, as we look at this passage... Uh, I really want us to consider four important points. The first one being the qualifier for to whom do the promises belong. Uh, the second point, the believers. Uh, I'm sorry. The second point, the believers' ongoing struggle with sin. The third point, the believers' desire for victory over sin, our delight in the law of God. And then the last fourth point, the recipe for victory, walking by the Spirit. So point one, the qualifier for to whom do the promises belong. In verse one, we see right off that there, there's a qualifier for the promises that he's about to lay before us in Romans chapter eight. And uh, the promises, as we know, are not for everyone, but for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that as believers that we need to be constantly um, doubting our own salvation, but uh, we know that there's many verses in, uh, in the scriptures, 
especially in the New Testament, that challenge uh, us to examine the, the genuineness of our faith. And I think that's good for us to do on a regular basis. Uh, certainly, I think we should, uh, there should be some introspection and, and self-examination before we approach the Word of God. Um, so the Bible does give many verses, but I, I did want to uh, just briefly consider one verse uh, as we consider self-examination. It's 2 Peter. We don't need to turn there, but 2 Peter 1.10 says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. The reason why I chose that verse is I think it really fits in with uh, our, message, our message tonight and, and certainly with uh, Paul's message in, in Romans. Uh, it's interesting that Peter instructs us to make our calling and election sure. An election sure. He, he doesn't, uh, other places in Scripture, it, uh, you know, um, uh, faith without works is dead. Uh, you know, it's, it's pointing more to the, to the outward works of, uh, of the Christian walk, the Christian life. Um, but here, uh, Peter says, to be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Uh, now, I think that, that verse uh, uh, really drives a death nail into the Arminian argument. Um, but that's certainly not, I don't believe, what Peter's uh, addressing here, what he's dealing with here. But he does want, the, the, uh, he does want us as believers to really, this requires, when he says to, to, uh, to uh, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, that takes a deeper, uh, I think, a deeper examination. Um, and he's reminding us where our salvation comes from. That, um, that it begins and ends with God, that it's all about God. It has nothing to do with us. Uh, but I, I also, uh, I think he's bringing that point up because if it was about us, we could see so often how short we fall. But when we look to the fact that it's God that, that, has called, that he has uh, chosen us from the foundation of the world and that he has called us to a specific purpose in this life, uh, then we realize um, it gives us something. Uh, he, he doesn't sit to tell us to look at, at, at uh, our walk, but I think it's implied that is your life, is the life that you're living a demonstration of the work that God is doing in you? Is it a, is it a demonstration of his calling, uh, his election and his calling? Because... Uh, Again, as Pastor Jason mentioned uh, Sunday morning, Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, does not, uh, God has not chosen uh, his children and called them to a purpose uh, and then just leave them to, the, to themselves. Uh, he's doing a perfect work and... And so, again, I, I do believe that this, this causes great uh, examination, and it's good for us to do that on a regular basis. If you're here tonight and you're not a believer, uh, but you believe that, that God's calling you, that he's calling you to repentance and faith, then, then I would simply instruct you from Romans 10, 9, it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, 
I, I do believe that there's a lot more to that uh, in the Christian life, a whole lot more. Um, but that is quite simply where salvation begins and ends. It's, it's all based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, so again, if you're here tonight, um, you know, these promises that we'll be looking at are for the believer only. Um, and I would encourage you um, to look to Christ and become a child and, 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 uh, and you too can enjoy the benefits of these great promises that we had laid before us here in Romans chapter 8. Well, the second point that I want to look at is the believer's ongoing struggle with sin. And these next two points, um, as we consider these next two points, we're going to need to go back and look at Romans chapter 7. Um, many commentators believe that, uh, and remember that the, the chapters and verses uh, were not a part of the original letter. It was one whole letter that was delivered to the, to the saints in Rome. The, the chapters and verses were, were added later. Uh, they help us uh, to find our place in the Bible. They're helpful for sure. Um, but sometimes they can be arbitrary. And uh, I do believe that the latter half of uh, Romans chapter 7 belongs with the beginning of, uh, at least the beginning of Romans chapter 8. Uh, in fact, as we answer that question, why did the man write this, uh, this chapter? Why did God give us this, this uh, word in chapter 8? Um, chapter 7, I think, helps to, to set the context for that. And so we'll be looking at um, uh, some verses in chapter 7 of Romans, beginning in verse 14. We'll be looking at verses 14 through verse 25. Um, so again, the second point, the believer's ongoing struggle with sin. So let's take a look at Romans 7, verses 14 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But I do the very thing, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, for the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, clearly we see here that... Uh, um, that Paul is um, describing what I believe the life of a, a believer uh, that now has this mind that's being renewed day by day by the word of God, and yet there's still this remaining flesh that, uh, that Paul uh, knows he has to deal with and battle with. And, uh, and I think as, as believers, um, you know, our own experience uh, I think shows us that we continue to battle with our flesh. Uh, especially if we're, 
delighting in and, and spending our time in the Word of God. And so, um, so it's helpful for us to understand uh, that, that this battle is something that we have to deal with. And, um, and so I think that's why, that, uh, that's why Paul brings this to us here in, in Romans chapter 7 in those verses. Point number three, the believer's desire for victory over sin, our delight in the law of God. You know, there's been much debate uh, over the years as to whether uh, Paul in this uh, passage, in this section of Scripture, whether he's speaking from a, from a pre-conversion or a post-conversion uh, perspective uh, or position. Uh, many commentators, many of your Reformed um, pastors and teachers, along with myself, and I think many of the pastors in this church, many of the elders in this church would, would, would agree that Paul is, in fact, speaking from a uh, from a post-conversion perspective or position. And um, I think that we see it because we, you know, as believers, we desire victory. We desire deliverance from uh, this body. Uh, Paul says, uh, uh, you know, he says in these verses that we'll be looking at here in a minute that he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? He, he desires deliverance uh, as he considers his own life uh, when it's when he compares it to uh, the law of God, and we when he compares it to the goodness of Christ, um, I do like what the late R.C. Sproul had to say about this, um, about this particular passage. He he agreed that it was post conversion, um, and and here's here's what he used to kind of build his argument. Uh, he points us to uh, to Psalm one. And uh, many of you probably are familiar with Psalm 1, uh, one of the great psalms. But at the very beginning, it says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of God. And on it, and on it he meditates day and night. So we know it's the blessed man that delights in the law of God. And we see here in these, these next uh, few verses that we'll be looking at that Paul himself with the mind delights in the law of God. Now, R.C. Sproul uh, took the position that that should put the debate uh, to bed <laughs> and uh, should no longer be debated. Um, I don't know if that uh, is true, uh, but I think he makes a good argument. Not only based on the, based on the scriptures, and once we look at, uh, once we get into uh, Romans chapter 8, I think uh, hopefully you'll agree that um, this is really the context for why Paul, or why the uh, Paul, th but through the Holy Spirit, gives us Romans chapter 8. So let's take a look at verses 7, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. It says this, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of death, the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. 
So I think that we see from these, these verses that we just looked at in, cha- in Romans chapter 7 that the, there is a battle that goes on within the life, um, uh, certainly in the mind of a believer. Uh, the more that uh, I believe, the more that we uh, delight in the word of God, uh, the more sensitive we become to, to our own sinfulness and our own struggles that we have in our, in our lives. Um, I have said before that um, the, the believer, the child of God, is not without sin. Uh, in fact, 1 John says that uh, he who says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Um, but I do believe this. I do believe that the, the believer should, at the, should at the very least, uh, not have any unconfessed sin. Now, um, you know, we're familiar with the passage where, where Jesus reminds uh, the brother that uh, before you present your gifts, if you have uh, something against your brother, uh, to, to lay your gifts down, go make it right with your brother, and then come back and present your gifts. Um, so uh, there, for, the, for the believer, there should be unconfessed sin in our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, all of our sins should be, conf- I don't believe that means that all of our sins should be confessed publicly and, and openly. Um, certainly, if we've sinned against somebody openly and publicly, then, then yes, we need to, we need to confess that uh, openly. Um, I think, you know, I think uh, we, we certainly see that in the life of David uh, when he sinned against Bathsheba and in, in, um, in was uh, an accessory to murder with, with her husband Uriah. He tried to cover that up. He tried to hide that, and in, in, uh, in course, God, we know the end of that story. Um, but there are, I do believe, sins of the heart that we don't necessarily need to confess openly. In fact, I would say, um, at least for me by experience, I deal with that more regularly. Um, sins of the heart, sins that... Uh, especially as you delight in the Word of God, and as He, um, you know, exposes us, uh, our lives, and, and and I would say too that the more we delight in God's Word, and the more we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the more that we understand what He's done for us, I mean, doesn't that make you just look at your life and think, Lord? If, if, if I really believed what, what you say in your word, boy, how would that, how, how would that motivate and drive my life? Um, so, you know, I do believe that's true for the believer. Um, you know, sins that we commit in our hearts before God, we need, to, we need to confess those to him on a regular basis and ask for his, ask for his forgiveness and ask for his help with those, uh, even the heart sins. Because we know it's in the heart that, that, that all sin um, begins. But I will say that when, when I say that, uh, that as a believer, we, that the believer delights in the word of God, that isn't to say that it's always easy. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Um, 
you know, the word of God brings encouragement. Uh, we have many great promises. Uh, we see the faithfulness of God. We see the steadfast love of God uh, as we look to the scriptures. Um, I think of Psalm 51 and, and David and his great psalm of repentance. The very thing, first thing that he does is acknowledge before God his steadfast love. Um, you know, it's good for us to, to, to really consider that apart from God's steadfast love, I think David realized that his, his, uh, his repentance, all the repentance would have meant nothing apart from the steadfast love of the Lord. And so that's the first thing that, that he uh, confesses and brings before God in his prayer. But the word of God, as we saw here in Hebrews 4.12, it, it literally uh, lays the heart open. Um, it, it lays the heart open for all to be seen. Not for all to see, but for all to be seen. And, um, not for, and it's not for God to see. God already knows it. He, he already knows everything in our heart. But the word of God opens our hearts up for us to see. And that can be scary at times. Um, but we need to see it. And that's why God does it. And uh, it can be scary, but at the same time, it really exposes the great love of our God that he's shown us uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would uh, be willing to, to see um, so deeply into our hearts. To be, as we've heard so many times before, to be, fully, to be fully known but yet fully loved is an amazing thought. And so... Um, so from there, I really want to get into, now we can get into Romans chapter 8, and we'll finish uh, the last bit of time that we have here in Romans chapter 8. Uh, the last and final point, the recipe for victory over sin, the work of the Spirit in the life of a Christian. So I want to read Romans uh, verses 1 through 8, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit for to set for the mind set on the flesh is death but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward god for it does not sub, uh, subject itself to the law of god for it for it is not even able to do so and those who are in the flesh cannot please god uh, let me um just add this in here just uh so when i recited the romans chapter 8 earlier uh was from the ESV, um, sometimes I get a little tongue-tied because, um, you know, I've, I still probably prefer the ESV, but I've transitioned to, to the NASB. Of course, that's what the, the elders here preach from the NASB. But anyway, in case you were wondering, well, that didn't sound exactly like he said it. <laughs> um, but they are, the two, the two translations are very close. But um, Paul makes it clear in this passage that all believers are indwelt by the Spirit. So 
so we don't need to pray for any uh, special baptism of the Spirit. Um, every single believer, every single child of God, as we see in this passage, is already indwelt by the Spirit. That happens, that happens at the moment that a, that a person is regenerated and born again. They are at that moment indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Um, so there's no need, again, for any special baptism. But that, I will add to that, that isn't to say uh, that we shouldn't recognize our own weakness and, and that we shouldn't pray for the Spirit's help in our daily lives. We should. Um, but we don't need to pray for the Spirit to indwell us. It's there. The Spirit of Christ is in us. Uh, the Spirit of God is in us. Uh, we just need to uh, recognize that. And, and I think it's good for us to recognize our own weaknesses and pray for the Spirit's help. But what, what Paul is doing here in this passage is he's reminding us what God did that the law weakened by the flesh was unable to do. What was the law unable to do weakened by the flesh? Well, the, the law was unable to save us, Right? God did what the law weakened by the flesh was, uh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and force any condemned sin in the flesh. And so the law was unable to save us. Um, but, but I also want us to recognize, uh, because again, I do believe that, that what Paul is giving us here in Romans chapter 8 is he's giving us the recipe for victory. He's given us the problem, sin. He's given us the, uh, the struggle that every believer has, and that's the battle with uh, the remaining flesh, the remaining sin. And here in Romans chapter 8, he's going to give us the recipe for victory. God didn't leave us with the, uh, the problem without the solution. Um, thanks be to God for that. Praise God that, uh, that, that he didn't leave us to ourselves. He gave us the, the answer to this problem that we have, because if we desire victory, and, and look, if you're here as a believer tonight, um, I, I, I would hope, I, and I'm certain of this, that you desire victory in your life. You desire victory over the sin in your life. And you desire to be pleasing, um, you desire to be pleasing to God. And so, so Paul gives us uh, this, this great passage uh, for the recipe over that. Um, God sent his son, so what we see here in this passage is that God sent his son not only so that we could be saved from the penalty of sin, but he also sent his spirit so that we could be saved from the power of sin. Let me say that again. God sent his son not only so we could be saved from the penalty of sin, but he also sent his spirit so that we could have victory over the power of sin. I think it's important for us to recognize that. We've been saved from sin, amen, right? Praise God. Um, but we should, desire, uh, we should desire victory over the power of sin too. And God's given us his spirit and he's given us his word uh, whereby we can have victory, not total victory. And I believe that uh, for some Christians, that battle goes on until, and it does for all of us, but at certain degrees, but I, I believe that for some, that battle could go on until, until they're in heaven. And, um, and the struggle's real. Um, but I would say if they're a true believer, 
as they struggle with that sin and, 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 and continue to delight in the word of God, delight in the law of God, um, it, it creates a tremendous burden. And, and we want to be freed from that burden. And we will. Praise God, we will one day. Uh, the Bible says that when, uh, when, when we die, uh, we will see him as he is and we will be like him. So, so here what Paul is doing is he, he's instructing, he's telling us that, that we're indwelt by the Spirit and um, he's instructing us um, he's instructing us to, to live by the Spirit, walk according to the Spirit, but, but how are we to do that? He says, those, who, uh, uh, those of us who have been given the Spirit, we now live by the Spirit, but he says those who live by the Spirit do what? They set their minds upon the things of the Spirit, right? Uh, it's not this uh, mystical um, you know, aspect where the Spirit comes down upon us and, and you know, we just you know, it moves us along in life. No, it's, uh, it's not mystical, it's supernatural. It's a supernatural work, but it's not a mystical one. And so Paul uh, tells us by the power of the Spirit that we're to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, and there's only one place where we can find uh, where, we, where the mind of the Spirit is revealed to us, and that's in the Word of God. That's it. Um, there's no other revelation. Not that, not that uh, God isn't much more than what he's given us in his word. Uh, I believe that when we die and go to heaven that uh, he will be revealing himself to us um, eternally. But he has given to us for this life what we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything we need. And so by the power of the spirit, we go to the word of God and, and seek to, to take on the mind of Christ. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist said, Your word I have hidden in your heart that I would not sin against you. In Romans 12.2, a very familiar passage, uh, he's, uh, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what should our minds be renewed by? By the word of God. So I encourage you, uh, spend your time in the word. Commit your, commit, uh, commit, um, make the commitment to, um, to memorize the Word of God. There, there's something special and something to be said about memorizing Scripture. It's, it's, um, it's hard to memorize Scripture and not internalize it. Um, you know, for me to stand up here and quote Romans chapter 8 for the last, you know, several months, I've probably recited that that passage of scripture to myself over a hundred times and not because I wanted to impress anybody um, but because uh, again I think it's important for the life of a believer and uh, let me tell you something when you commit that to memory and, and you internalize that it will have an impact on your life if you're truly saved um, so the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to instruct us, to influ influence us, and to guide our daily lives. I can't see the time up there, 713, okay. Um, I want to take a look at one. Uh, we can go ahead and turn there. Turn to, in your Bibles, to 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. 2 Peter 1.
actually beginning in verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent, magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers excuse me, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And then we know how the rest of that passage goes. He talks about the very reason, uh, you know, how we're to add to, uh, beginning with faith, how we're to add these other qualities. Um, but what I, the, what I wanted to point out in that passage is that uh, it's, it's, God has granted to us, it says there in verse 4, God has granted to us these precious and magnificent promises in his word. And he says, and, and by them we become partakers of his divine nature. Um, that's why I say it's, it's not a, uh, the work of the spirit through the word of God is not a mystical work, but it is a supernatural work. We are, as we read the word of God, it does, um, as Peter says here, uh, we become partakers of the divine nature. And so, Again, once again, an encouragement for us uh, as believers to commit ourselves to the Word of God. Well, from there we see in Romans 8, 9 through 11, um, I think I really like what Paul does here in, in verses 9 through 11. We see the Trinitarian aspect of God uh, in this passage. Uh, if you look at the verses 9 through 11, It says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, um, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So we see that Trinitarian aspect. I often thought, why is, he, why is Paul transitioning? He starts out, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Uh, he's, uh, we see, again, the Trinitarian aspect of God there. God the, uh, God the spirit, uh, the spirit of Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And you may say, well, why is that so important? Well, uh, I think uh, for a couple of reasons. It shows us the relational aspect of God. Um, but uh, I think that should encourage us that, that we have all three persons in the Godhead, unified, working together for the life, uh, for the life of the believer. That should bring us great encouragement. And, brought, and God uh, has brought us into that relationship. Um, one of the primary ways the spirit of, uh, that the Spirit works in the life of a believer is by bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We see that next uh, in the next couple of verses. How does he do that? Well, we've already mentioned before through his word. Um, the Spirit of God has the mind of God, and the mind of God is revealed to us through his word, as, again, as I already mentioned. But I believe in, in these verses, particularly in verses 14 and 15, that we, we also see a, uh, a secondary aspect of how the Spirit of God uh, bears witness with ours. So let's look at 14 and 15. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, 
but you fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, and again, the Spirit himself test, uh, bears witness or testifies that our, uh, with our spirit that we are children of God. So, so how, um, how does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God? Well, again, I think through the Word. Um, but I think what Paul is showing us here, too, is that the way the Spirit of God bears witness with ours is he's bearing witness that we are, in fact, his children. And, uh, and I, I think uh, what really brings that out is where he says, for you have not been given the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've been given the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out a father. Um, so in other words, and I think it's also interesting, I don't know how your translation looks, but uh, the spirit of slavery is the small s in spirit. The spirit of adoption is capital S. Um, but, but, but Paul is reminding us that we, we no longer obey God as a master would their slave. We, we are no longer obeying God uh, out of fear. We, we aren't obeying him. The, our obedience isn't uh, in fear of judgment any longer. There is no con- condemnation for the believer. We now, are, we now obey God just as a child, just as a son or daughter of God would um, a son or a daughter would obey their heavenly father. Um, I was speaking to my daughter earlier uh, this afternoon about this very verse. And, uh, you know, sometimes, um, sometimes our understanding of our heavenly father can be somewhat tainted depending on the, the earthly father representative that we had, that we have or had. Um, but God doesn't, uh, God's perfect. Our heavenly father is perfect. And so, um, so, so our obedience as children of God should be out of our love for him. We should go, we should go to God as our father for, uh, for, um, for courage, for encouragement, for wisdom, for counsel. Are we going to our heavenly father for all of those things? Are we going to him uh, for the things that we need? And our weakness is going again for, for counsel and, and strength and, and, and uh, in times of need. That's what he's there for. And, um, and so uh, to, uh, I want to get to the end here. So as a child of God who lives according to the Spirit, uh, the next few verses we'll see that, that there, there will come suffering. Uh, there is going to be suffering for the, for the child of God who, who walks according to the Spirit. Um, and as I first uh, considered this, I thought that he was speaking specifically about, uh, you know, our, our identification with Christ. Um, he says that we'll be glorified, but if in fact we suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him. Uh, so, I, so I do believe that that, um, that certainly is the... Um, the main uh, the main point that Paul wants to convey, but but I think it goes beyond that. It's it's not just our own personal suffering, but it's the suffering that we see around us. It's the suffering, uh, the the creation even groaning. It's the it's the the effect of sin that we see around us. And as we grow in in the grace and knowledge of God, and and as we get older, um, you know, we we see the effects of sin more and more. Uh, again, in our own lives and, and also in the, in the lives around us and the way that it has affected 
everybody, including the creation. But here again, uh, God has not uh, left us uh, there in, in despair. Uh, Paul is going to go on from there to, uh, to give us the remedy for the suffering uh, by reminding us that this suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And uh, I will say that uh, as I grow older, uh, I look uh, forward more and more to, to the day of glory, to the day of redemption the day when we will no longer be affected by, uh, by sin and by the remaining flesh. And uh, what a great day that will be. Well, we've run out of time here. Uh, I did, uh, on the back of your notes there, I did give a list of the promises that uh, we as believers should set our minds upon. Um, I gave uh, 16 promises there that you see in, in Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm sure there's more promises that can be found in there. Um, but I would end with this. If you're a believer, God has great treasure and promises stored up for his adopted children. We are, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Let's uh, wait. May we live um, in light of that. Amen? All right. Well, let's, let me pray and then we can be dismissed. Lord, we do thank you uh, for your spirit. We thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we thank you for uh, that you have adopted us into your family. Um, Lord, we were not worthy. There was nothing that you saw in us that would cause you to adopt us into your family. You did it based solely upon your own purpose. You have uh, set your love upon us. You have, uh, we have become um, your adopted children. You uh, we are vessels of mercy, you tell us. And so, Lord, uh, we are humbled and thankful that, uh, that you chose us. Lord, it's a, um, it's a humbling thought. Lord, uh, we do pray for revival in our land. Lord, we desperately need revival in our land. And, Lord, I pray that uh, by your spirit and through your word that revival would begin in my own heart. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.